Good morning and welcome to a Friday podcast. I'm Sam Volkring, your editor here with my co-editor Kit Winder. Now it's been a couple of weeks, uh, Kit, since we've done a podcast. We had a mini hiatus last week uh, just due to some uh, scheduling uh, issues, but we're back on board this week with another podcast and I will probably throw in that it'll be my last podcast, uh, not forever, um, and just when your thought got a little excited that it might be. No, just for the next three weeks, I will be off uh, on paternity leave. There is another Volkering being added to my clan. Um, so I'll be away from my desk, away from the mic, and looking after my family, making sure that the dog and the cat aren't too put out by our new arrival. Um, and, yeah, doing all those things that you do with a new child uh, for the next three weeks. So. That means uh, your podcast will continue as usual. Um, Kit, I'm sure you'll be able to bring in some exciting guests from our deep roster of editors across South Bank Investment Research uh, and in Exponential Investor, of course. We'll have plenty of people to fill in my large void that will be created um, <laughs> by being away for three weeks. So don't miss me too much, Kit. Um, I will be back. But um, we thought this week, because I'm sort of winding down uh, duties to, as I say, take three weeks off, um, I feel like I've joined my wife and my brain's gone into a bit of baby brain fog mode. Um, so I actually was struggling to, to think about what we could talk about today. But you, you made a good suggestion in that we're going to kick off today and Kit's going to ask me a question off the, off the bat. And, uh, and then we'll see... What path we we take from there? So uh, welcome again, Kit. Um, nice to be back. And uh, what do you got for me? Uh, well, Sam, obviously, firstly, massive congratulations and good luck in the next few weeks. Hope everything goes well. And I'm sure everyone will echo that sentiment. Um, the question I thought I'd just open with is something I've been grappling with over the last couple of weeks. Well, well every investor, I guess, grapples with as well over a lifetime. Mm. Um, what do you think is more important, Sam? Stock selection? Or asset allocation. So, is it you you pick a sector and you decide between five different stocks that this is the best one, or is it picking the sector that's actually the most valuable thing? What do you think is the best way to sort of get, generate outperformance or or alpha? Oh yeah, well, stop using terms I've only I only remember uh, using back in university. Um, you know, for me, it, you know, it's a great question, right? And I get this all the time. I get, you know, how much should I be allocating to to this asset class or this sector or things like that? And it's not usually something that I go deeply into because a, I don't pretend to be a fund manager. Um, my 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 bread and butter is finding the opportunities and finding the the stocks and, and being a stock picker. Um, and so for me, it's um, for me, it's always about. For me, it's about being a stock picker and finding the stocks, finding the right stocks, finding the quality stocks. That 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 kind of does play into a little bit around the asset allocation because then I do find that they start to find their way into little clusters of of, of industries or little clusters of, of particular assets. So that you do find that there is an element of asset allocation that just is a natural byproduct of your stock selection, um, but that doesn't mean that you can't be overweight in a certain sector if you think there's a lot of potential, but that usually comes because you just find a number of great stocks uh, that all happen to be kind of loosely following the same sort of pattern. So for me, it's for me, it's about 
<laughs> the, the, the endless trawling through uh, every listed stock on an exchange, trying to find something that is better than everything else. And that might sound tedious and maybe even inefficient, but that's, that's literally how I find stocks is I go through every stock that's listed on a stock exchange. So for the Australian market, for instance, there's like there's over 2,000 stocks at any given time on the market. Some leave, some some join, and it's the same in the UK. You know, we're talking about thousands of stocks that are listed. Now you can filter those down. Um, you know, if you're looking for certain size companies. Um, so I tend to stay away from the mega cap stuff and the big cap stuff, and really focusing on the smaller cap stuff. Really, kind of anything under 500 million quid's worth um so that does help that selection process a little bit but it's literally going through every single company looking at them and asking myself the simple question is this a company that's going to shoot the lights out or not so that's kind of my approach to it all yeah i guess that sort of begs the follow-on question of when you're looking at company how much uh do you focus on sort of a future demand picture for example so if you come across a company a sector you you don't know a huge amount um i guess you have to think again it's not like in for example cryptocurrency or technology where you have a very good understanding if you're going into a completely new sector and and we're maybe less confident in you know which way the market was going do you still feel comfortable recommending a stock purely based on the fact that the company is doing really brilliantly yeah absolutely i mean for me it's always one of those things that if i find a company and there's enough signs there that indicates that the company is doing something really well then I want to know why they're doing it really well. I want to know the industry that they're doing it really well in. So then for me, it's about going and understanding the industry better. Um, and so my process will be that if I find a stock that is, you know, showing some great signs of growth, it's showed consistent growth or, you know, it's, you know, some of their announcements have come out with, you know, new deals or the development of, of you know, certain processes or new technologies, whatever they might be doing. Then it, for me, it's about trying to then understand the industry better. And so then I'll go away and I'll look and understand what it is that makes them, that, that, that's seen them achieve this and can they then continue that forward. And sort of by a natural selection process, I then know more about that industry um, and then can look for other opportunities in that industry once I get a better handle of what's going on and why it's going on that way. So it's... I've always taken a very top-down approach with how I find stocks in terms I typically do look for the bigger trends, the bigger opportunities uh, in in how the world works um, and then sort of come down into the stocks from there. But sometimes it does work the other way as well, is that I will literally stumble across a company uh, just through one way or another of, of different forms of research or an event or someone I know, you know in, in my networks. Uh, and then it opens me up to a whole new industry that maybe I haven't looked at and considered with sufficient uh, force before. And then all of a sudden, this kind of gets added to the top of the of the list to then come back down um, and look at all the opportunities that might exist in that sector. So it's kind of like this 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 circular research economy inside my brain where you go from these big funnels down to little ones, and then sometimes the little ones leapfrog you up into back up to the big one and it just goes around and around and you find you just learn a lot about a lot of different stuff fair i guess i suppose you know the current or the last year and a half since the pandemic has been very interesting because in 
in sort of three or five month periods, I guess, uh, the worst stock in one sector like clean energy would be vastly better investment than the best, most high quality, high quality, brilliantly run stock uh, in another. Um, so, you know, it couldn't matter if you were the best company in oil and gas in 2020. Like, no one wanted to hear about it. Um, but I guess time horizon then is probably very yeah. significant. So uh, a quality company or a company that really is brilliant or doing something that truly differentiates it from its peers sort of the sectors and the themes might come and go, but the quality of a company will be slightly more durable. Would that be your assessment? Yeah, absolutely. So that's the other thing, you know, you're right, you bang on. You want to talk about time horizon as well, because so as as you well know, sometimes we, well, sometimes, most of the time we sit on the contrarian uh, nature of, of how we go about looking at things. And it's when you know, it's when people aren't talking about something or aren't focusing on an industry is where usually the best opportunities, in my experience, exist. Um, and that can mean that sometimes you're looking at stocks and, and, and selecting stocks which are pretty out of favour with the, with the sort of overall market. Um, and that's why I always say that I'm not a trader, I'm, I'm an investor, because if you know you can you can be you know a stock and a, and a sector can be on the nose for a year and you can be in a position where it doesn't do much but if you've got the right i guess analysis of it and and the, the, all the you know all the signs continue to point to it being undervalued and, and underappreciated from the market and still part of a big longer term demand story or you know big technology development or whatever it might be doing and the industry and the trend that it's part of is still a long term play then you can sort of then you can have a longer term term uh, time horizon with that i mean the risks in that are of course opportunity cost you know do you do you just wait and sit out of those you know longer term opportunities that are a bit maligned by the market uh, and look to ride the shorter term stuff that the mainstream and investors are excited about today. And so that's always something that you've got to balance up as well as when you're making a stock selection or putting your money into any stock, you've got to ask yourself, right, so what is my time horizon here? Is it is it three, five years? And in doing so, am I prepared that maybe nothing happens for the next 12 to 18 months with it? Um, and, you know, could I or should I be looking at putting it into something else that maybe has a shorter term window? So there's always a balance. And that's where it really comes down to how people map out their strategy and, and goals and their own time horizons, because a lot of people do want the short and curlies of, of the here and now. They want to see the returns in 12 months. They want it now and they want it fast, which is fair enough, you know, in a world where you don't earning much, you know, you're earning basically no interest on on your um, cash savings, um, where the value of, of your cash is being constantly depleted by uh, inflation, then, you know, you look to find shorter term returns, you look to find yield as much as you can where you can in the market. So, you know, it's, it is, it's actually challenging now to be a long-term investor because, you know, a lot of people aren't interested in long-term investing. They just want they want something to, to, to shoot the lights out within 12 months. And if it doesn't, um, they want to shoot you down for it. So it's it's balancing that as well, balancing time horizon and plan with you know the the general market sentiment as well. And sometimes you you get it wrong, admittedly, and sometimes you absolutely blow the blow the roof off with it. So 
Um, on the balance of it, you know, I think still picking stocks. And you know, that's the other thing that makes this so exciting about what we do and so interesting is we're never short on something to look at and research and understand and pick out that, you know, maybe others and investors haven't seen or have underappreciated before. So it's it's always enthralling to find new companies that are that are coming to market as well. Um, and ones that are sort of flying under the radar that that most people miss. Yeah, um, I guess one of the things that uh, I was talking to a friend about, and he was saying that one significant element to the sort of stock selection versus asset allocation thing is sort of where it is in a cycle. So, for example, when a sector is just taking off or when a part of the market is just taking off, being in the sector is much more important than which exact stock. Um, But then once something becomes more mature, for example, so let's say in a couple of years' time, we've had this takeoff in clean energy, but as the sort of uh, sector matures and everyone knows about it and everyone's looking at it, that's when the stock selectors can really have their day. And that's where picking the winners for the next decade is going to be very significant. But mentioning clean energy, Sam, one one thing I wanted to ask you about to finish off um, is this talk around uh, polysilicon supply out of Xinjiang in West China and the fact that America, Joe Biden, I don't know if you saw this, but he's talking about, or he's weighing up a ban on polysilicon from Western China because of the, the concerns that uh, you and I and others at South Bank Research have raised to do with the treatment of Uyghur Muslims there and sort of the, the possibility of slave labor in the supply chains. Now, half of the world's polysilicon comes from Western China uh, and it's not a massive surprise, I guess, that it's the cheapest polysilicon on the market and it's not great if that's uh, for reasons other than cheap electricity and the the hot, windy, western, cheap coal regions of China. Um, there may be other factors at play. If America bans the supply of half the world's polysilicon to solar panels uh, in its great green push, um, what happens to different corners of that market? Good question. I mean, you, you'd you have to think that there's a slowdown in the reduction of the cost of, of some of these things in terms of in order to to get that supply from somewhere else, it's more than likely going to be at a higher cost, which then gets passed down through the products and onto the end users. Um, and so while, you know, we know we've seen the, the, the cost of, uh, the, you know, these technologies that use polysilicon come down, um, much of that, you know, when your supply is coming from China, you kind of know why that's the case. And so that's, that, that reduction in cost, I think, would just slow down or plateau. Um, and so, you know, it's one of those things where they'll, supply will get picked up from somewhere else. I think a lot of people put a lot of focus on the Chinese market, and rightly so. It's a massive market when you've got a couple of billion people um, and, a, and an incredible concentration of wealth in that country. But you know, we still have, need to appreciate that there are severe restrictions on capital flow in China, from China to China, uh, and that there are some serious, um, you know, w- with the world being very conscious about ESG investing, um, to continue to focus on China. Um, if you're an e- if you're an ESG fund and you've got a bunch of investments in China, you probably need to reconsider your ESG label. Um, and I think that the world's waking up to the fact that China needs to kind of sort their stuff out, uh, for lack of a more expletive-ridden phrase, um, before 
you know, before things will will get better. I, and, and to be fair, I, I well, polysilicon, I think it's going to be a whole bunch of a uh, whole bunch of industries are going to start shutting off uh, China because for the exact reasons that you've said. Um, you know, people, even this whole, even around Bitcoin mining and the, the bans that China are putting on uh, cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin, um, people tend to be fearful of it. But at the same time, they're, they're more worried about banning Bitcoin than they are about some of the human rights abuses that happen in China. So I think people just need to, you know, understand what's important <laughs> and know that while there might be some short-term disruptions to supply in certain industries and for certain products that that are you know heavily china focused uh it doesn't it, it doesn't matter the, the world adjusts to these things and and probably for the better um shutting china out of a lot of these markets will be a good thing putting economic pressure on them uh from multiple external sources because of some of the things that are going on there uh can only be a good thing um, if it helps the if it helps <laughs> sort out a lot of the problems that are happening out there at the moment. So, yeah, I, I, I think it, while it while it might seem a problem uh, short term, it, it usually these sorts of things usually cause great opportunity for others in that market to uh, to pick up those sorts of shortages or supply like you know supply uh, bottlenecks that might occur. Yeah, so I guess you're just saying. Uh that the, the China risk to, to markets actually isn't going to be transitory, to use everyone's favorite word, <laughs> going to be durable in the solar market and also other markets as well. So this is actually something we should be expecting to see more and more going forwards. Yeah, I think so. And, and like I say, I think, it, I think it creates opportunity. You know, if, if, you'd, if, you'd, if you'd have said there was a crisis in the uh, polysilicon market, then I, you know, that would make me even more excited about the opportunities that it would create uh, for others that aren't based in China, for for that, you know, I've always said from great crisis comes great opportunity, and we can go back time and time again through history to see examples of that. Um, and so, while it you know certainly has a negative um, connotations and, and it can have a negative impact on sentiment, uh, you often find there's still loads of opportunities that come from those kinds of crises. So, um, yeah, you know, if, we, if if it plays out and it gets worse. That's okay. Market will be okay. <laughs> Things will be okay, and we'll get through it. And there'll be great opportunities that come out of it. Well, spoken like a true father, you're starting to realise what things truly matter to you. Well, yeah. okay, if we uh, take some hits to the polysilicon supply, I, the only supply chain I'm worried about uh, coming up is the supply chain of um, baby formulas that, <laughs> that are always seem to be uh, low. So, um, actually, I, this could be a discussion for another podcast, but it was a few years ago when um, the, the Chinese had a massive demand spike for baby formula because they had the issues with um, contaminated milk. And it sent the baby formula, but it sent a lot of companies in Australia that, that uh, manufactured and produced baby formula, sent them through the roof like 10, 20x times returns on some of these stocks because they mass produce um, baby formula and because it's Australian and the quality is there and the quality controls that came from Australia, they were literally people from China flying into, I think it's, is it the, 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 the Daigus or something like that? They're like the shoppers that come in from China, load up on everything and then fly all the stuff back in suitcases. They were literally going into supermarkets and just emptying the shelves of baby formula. Um, and like I say, it was a crisis, but China caused the demand 
Um, but it was a massive opportunity for some of those stocks. And, you know, when those sorts of things tend to happen, whether it's baby formula or if it's polysilicon, uh, there are opportunities for investors if you pick the right stocks. So, uh, yeah, the nice little anecdote there to finish. But, yeah, you're right. That, that, uh, that's probably, I've probably banged on enough for, for today's podcast. Uh, thanks again, Kit, for sparking some conversation in my uh, seemingly non-working brain uh, as it winds down for the next three weeks off. Uh, I'll be back again in three weeks. You'll hear from Kit uh, next week, I assume, I hope. Good luck with that. Um, I'm sure you'll have someone interesting on to talk to or maybe just a monologue for 20 minutes. <laughs> That's clearly what everyone is doing <laughs> So thanks again, everyone, for tuning in. Um, as I say, I'll be back with you in three weeks' time. Kit will be back with you next week. Thanks for listening and bye for now.